Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. All right, so before we get into this episode with Santiago Navarro from Garcon Wines, and they are doing incredible work uh, with sustainability in the wine packaging uh, area of this industry. Uh, obviously, we are still just so excited about what's going on at Doxalent and their spec management software called Insure. Uh, so please head over to peopleofpackaging.com and get your free ebook. Um, it's it's free. It helps out our podcast. Uh, it helps them out, and ultimately, it helps you out. It helps you uh, be able to learn some ways to manage your own uh, spec management. You know, get rid of all of the back and forth of all the different documents and the emails and everything all across. You know, if you're a multinational company. Uh, this just it creates a single source of truth for your packaging spec management. So uh, once again, it's peopleofpackaging.com. And it's first name, last name, email address. Super simple. You get your free ebook. You can learn about this, this killer new software. And you can help support our podcast. So uh, please go ahead and do that. Now let's get to this episode with Santiago Navarro. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. Uh, I get to host a fantastic conversation um, about wine and packaging with uh, somebody with a way cooler accent than I can ever hope to have. Uh, so I'm joined by Santiago Navarro. Uh, Santiago, thanks for uh, being on and welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me and hi to all your listeners and potentially viewers. Uh, great to be with you. Great to be connecting uh, across the Atlantic. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, nice, nice nice to be here. And it looks beautiful where you are. Where are you uh, zooming? So we're based in central London. From... Okay. Yeah, so I'm sitting in central London and uh, we're on the estate of the British Museum. So uh, a well-known uh, spot for many who have come to London as it's a uh, one of the most popular um, places to visit. Um, and it's a relevant place for us as we are um, dealing in in wine packaging, but we're also trying to create a bit of history in wine packaging. And we're on one of the estates of one of the most famous collections of historic items. So uh, inspirational and, and, and yes, we're, we're, we've got nice weather, as a lot of the world actually has, has had a clement um, time in September and leading up into October. It's one of the um, uh, very, very few upsides of, of a changing climate. The, the flip side is... Um, significantly large problems and it's one thing we will tackle um uh, hopefully climate change and and the impact of that and why packaging yeah. needs to do its part definitely definitely we will uh we will dive into that um we got to get the important things out of the way first but even before we get into your background uh do you have a premier league team that you support uh, no, not actually. I don't. Okay. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a football fan myself, but um, I do recognize it's important for many. But I also do know that what you call football um, is is what um, uh, what you mentioned. Football is is soccer to a lot of your listeners. Sure. Um, I was. Uh, I went to university in the U.S., so I, I was in in uni in Iowa, 
And, okay. and um, for that, I know the difference between football and soccer. Very good. Uh, yeah, I, uh, there, there's a really interesting uh, study on why it's called soccer versus football. And it actually originated in, um, over in Europe. There was a game called soccer and a game called football. And what was imported here uh, was much more like what is called football over there. It's, it's a fascinating study, but we won't get into that. That's way less interesting, actually, than what you're doing to uh, really disrupt a, a long-standing uh, packaging form. And I'm excited to get into that. So uh, why don't you tell us about your, yourself and your company? And obviously, you studied in the United States. Did you say UNI in Iowa? Uh, no, so I went to a campus called Luther College. Um, oh, got is, it. Which is in the in the in the top in the northeast corner, so on the on the border of Minnesota and Wisconsin, in the oh, middle yeah. of nowhere. What's frankly. the what so what town is that? Decorah, which is the seat of the Winnesheet County. Okay, got it. I I almost played basketball at a school in Emmaus or uh, at Emmaus called in Dubuque, Iowa. So it's okay. Emmaus Bible College in Dubuque. So kind of in that same that same area. Um, right. Cool. So yeah, tell us about your background, you know, where'd you grow up and, you know, basically how did you get into uh, the wine business and wine packaging? Yeah, so thank you. So yeah, as, as you correctly say, my name is Santiago Navarro. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Garçon Wines. Garçon Wines are the inventors of a flat wine bottle, flat to save space and made entirely from recycled PT to save weight and energy. So I come to the world of wine packaging um, from the world of wine retail, actually. My first entrepreneurial venture uh, a decade ago uh, was um, building, was starting and building and scaling my own wine e-commerce business. Uh, I saw that more and more consumers would benefit from um, online purchasing of wine, something which nowadays is you know, very commonplace, but, but 20, 2010 was still um, uh, a nascent um, part of the wine industry. And, and um, I started building a business in that space. And as I started to scale and as we focused very much on the great softwares available to find, engage, and then you know, drive purchases and then, and, and then return customers online, I, I, we were getting an immense amount of problems with the wine bottle. Um, as, as we shipped these um, products across the UK, we got breakages and we got missed deliveries. So these two items got me thinking and, and I couldn't see how anyone in the world of wine would scale with what I found out was 19th century product hardware. So, so when, I, when I started to define would this be the business that would allow me to be you know, successful and feel um, rewarded and motivated throughout my uh, entrepreneurial career, I realized that actually probably there was a bigger problem than I was trying to address. As entrepreneurs, you're always looking for the problem, and the bigger the problem, probably the better and the opportunity is. I realized there was a bigger problem, which was that the world of wine was, for, for a large part, all using the same base primary pack, so the, the packaging that um, you know holds the, the base liquid, not the secondary packaging, for example, the transit case, Everyone was using these round glass bottles, um, which, which were 19th century adaptations to 17th century British invention. So I have here with me, and I'll describe it for those who are listening, um, one of the first um, types of wine bottle that was at scale. This is a mm. British invention. It's called an onion wine bottle. 
and it's an onion wine bottle because it's got a very bulbous base like an onion and a very long neck. And and that was, as I say, the first time Sir Kenan Digby was the inventor of that format and actually of the glass blowing process that mm. allowed those bottles to be produced also to be strong enough for, for transportation. So glass um, blowing actually, was invented for the sake of drinking good wine? Is that... I know, but it's actually... It's a, Wine bottles have been blown um, for, for centuries. So there's, okay. there's a long history in, in glass that goes back uh, much, much before. But in terms of the wine industry and then the fact that there was the requirement to have both still and carbonated wines or sparkling wines into bottles, then there needed to be a process that was scalable, but was also create strong bottles. And those bottles, the onion bottle I just showed you, is very strong. It's a great example of great packaging in the 17th century. Mm -hmm. um, but in the 19th century, the French uh, realized that wine was traveling a lot further from the two key appellations of Bordeaux and Burgundy. Anyone listening to this or, or watching will, will recognize those names. They're two of the most famous appellations as they gave us all bar one of the noble grape varieties. Those are the varieties that have spread internationally across the world, you know, right across the United States and, and you know, China and other places. Mm -hmm. And with them went the two bottle shapes that back then in the 19th century, the French adapted Digby's bottle and created one that looks like this, which is, this is a Bordeaux bottle I'm showing. And for those who are listening and can't see, it's got a um, very straight size, very, very cylindrical. And then it's got a shoulders, proud shoulders quite high up towards the top of the of the vessel and that's the more common shape yeah that looks like a bottle of wine that i would buy all the time correct yes adam and that was done actually to improve storage and transportation so already back in the 19th century two centuries ago there was a recognition that you could be more efficient in your logistics by having better primary pack so that was introduced and that that bottle has remained unchanged since then, but we're in the 21st century, and in the 21st century come um, serious and complex challenges, both from an environmental perspective and from an economic perspective. So coming back to why I do what I, what I do is, um, back then, um, as an online wine retailer, I realized something could be done about, the, about wine packaging. And so I, I moved into this space, and, and we can come back to what I've done since the 19th yeah. century. Um, <laughs> but I'll let you ask any questions to what I've introduced there. But the history is relevant because... Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, your history is relevant, uh, especially knowing that you're, you felt the, the, the problem. Um, there's, a, there's a great book on selling called Gap Selling by a guy named Keenan, and he talks about you know, identifying the problem and... I, and, and kind of qualifying the impact of the problem and, and you've really done uh, I think I think a really great job of describing and evaluating that it, it's not some sort of theoretical problem that you you know you think needs to be solved you're coming from a position of uh, almost authority but even as like a, a user of you know obviously a consumer of wine but also as somebody who is in this e-commerce space that in in whatever whatever a post-COVID world looks like, and I don't think we've, nobody's really fleshed out what that's going to be definitively, but what we do know is that many more people are more comfortable ordering online. E-commerce has exploded, and single-use packaging has exploded, and we have not done anything to fix the, um, the looming threat of global warming uh, has, has not exactly 
died away. So uh, the population is not decreasing, you know, by any sort of giant numbers, um, you know, outside of the the death toll of of COVID. But that's not making any sort of long term um, dent per se. So on on climate change, I think that's that's all of that needs to be bundled up into you know sort of your why, and I think that's important. Um, uh, just a couple of questions uh, uh, for your personal history. So um, you got into e-commerce. You live in London. Is is did you grow up in in uh, the EU area? Um, obviously, you studied at at a school here in the United States. But just kind of curious where where you grew up and yeah, yeah. My accent is a tricky one. So I'm half Maltese, half Scottish. Um, raised in Malta. Um, educated um, then. Um, from 19 in the United States and then lived in Sydney and then lived in the Netherlands till 2005. Um, 15 years ago, I moved to London um, from a professional perspective. At that point, I was uh, employed. I was in media sales. Um, I I moved here to advance my career. And then five years after landing in London, I realized I wanted to um, do something bigger and and so started building my first business and um and that's led to where i am today um you know uh different space um but but overall general generally the same mm-hmm. and uh wine's an amazingly um, emotive product i would argue there is no other regular purchase that is so emotively connected to the consumer so i believe if you can innovate successfully in wine you can use those learnings and transfer them to other products that are less emotively engaged. Um, so, so yes, I think certainly what we're doing in packaging innovation and sustainable packaging, wine is a starting point. It's, it's from where we will build the strongest foundations to take our learnings, our innovations, our intellectual property and apply them to other industries. Um, there are too many products that are currently shipped in what I would call 19th or 20th century packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're in the 21st century. We need 21st century packaging for 21st century lifestyles in a 21st century ailing planet. Yep. And so uh, we can come back to some more of those points. Yeah, yeah. I uh, think we should dig I, in right now because it's, uh, it's, it's obviously something that, that you're you know, incredibly passionate about. And, and I, I agree. I mean, the wine purchase is, it, it is a, it's funny because I remember one time I was in a, um, I was in a restaurant in Las Vegas at an industry event and somebody handed me the wine list and said, here, you want to pick the, the wine? Hmm. And I gave it back to him and I said, the last purchase I made was in a box. <laughs> the, the last wine purchase I made was boxed wine. I don't know that you want me making this call um, <laughs> because I, I don't. I don't have a, um, what would be the word, a refined uh, palate when it comes to, when it comes to wine, like other people at table wine. And you know, the cheapest bottle was whatever, a hundred dollars or something. So, um, uh, totally Adam. And, and, and for most wine is just that enjoyable drink. I think there are very few who understand wine lists. Um, I barely do. Um, I always get given the wine list because people have a false, false perception that I understand the intricacies of the, uh, well, the wine. Um, Morgan Stanley Research says there are around a million wine producers across the globe, um, uh, commercial um, wineries. And those um, wine producers were producing several labels with different grape varieties. 
you need to be a truly um, immense, um, and I say geek with a positive way, right. uh, the world of wine to understand um, all those wines. What you do start to recognize is, is appellations or areas, regions that you like and great varieties, and then you sort of connect the dots. Yeah. The reality is the majority of the world of wine, 85% on average across the world, is what one would term mass market wines. So they're, they're, they're for those like myself who just enjoy a good glass of wine. Uh, and that's from the 32 to 35 billion bottles, means there's about 27 billion bottles that are, um, you know, require innovation to make them more efficient. For those who just enjoy a glass of red or white, and not yeah. too fast what it is as long as it tastes um, nice. And so, yeah, I hear you on having to pick the wine online. So I actually get friends who used to call me up and say, hey, Santi, I'm in a supermarket. What wine should I buy? And I say, are you joking? I mean, I have no clue what you're looking at. Um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes because sometimes I, I, I work in the label printing industry. And so sometimes what I'll do is I'll go in and uh, I, I have a general idea of like a region where I like the wine. But I don't, I don't have any sort of like brand loyalty. And so I'll go through and I'll, I'll identify kind of the middle price range and I'll pick the best label. And then I just go. That's, it's, it's a very refined process. Um, uh, totally, which is why actually the bottle is important as the correct. bottle creates distinction. And there are a lot of um, you know, brands that have created unique glass bottles in order to create this differentiation on shelf. Um, and, but unfortunately, a lot of cases, those bottles are are heavier, they're more ornate, they have a higher carbon footprint. And consumers um, no longer, or a growing number of consumers no longer accept that. And certainly the younger generation, many who listen to this who are you know, professionals will regularly have discussions about what do millennials want or generation X, Z, Y, whatever. Um, reality is that um, growth and the opportunity for the future is with younger generations, consumers coming into the industry or into the category or sector. And so for, for us, creating wine packaging that's fit for Greta Thunberg's generation when they're of drinking age um, is, is the greatest opportunity. It's the most attractive. And, and in that case, it has to be planet-friendly, climate-friendly, sustainable. And when I say sustainable, by the way, I should make myself clear from, from the outset, as much as this is an outset, is that it's triple bottom line. It's planet, it's people, it's profit. We need mm -hmm. to make all three work. Uh, as if we um, forget one of them, then we will have an imbalance in society, in, in economy, or, or 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 a planet falling over as we do at right. the moment. So but yeah, there's so there's, think, a, there's a sorry. Go ahead. No, no, not at all. Go ahead, please. Yeah, there's there's a, a like I had a fourth one, which is the product, and I think that that tends to be implied because uh, packaging has to be protective of the product. Um, but I totally agree. I mean, there was a. There was a Forbes article written in January in earlier this year in 2020 that outlined a pretty intense study that showed um, the millennial and iGen or Gen Z, whichever terminology you like to use, are willing to spend 10% more on a product that they believe has a positive environmental impact. And so a lot of, and, and they are, uh, particularly millennials are this big generation of humans who are driving a lot of commerce right now so you know even even if it's just purely a play for sales and revenue and profit it's still good i mean we still have as long as it's not greenwashing and and certainly what you've developed it would not be considered greenwashing so um, and i think a lot of that's getting rooted out there was some of that early on and it still exists i'm sure 
but you know we're we're really starting to see the democratization of information on the internet. Brands are getting called to task if they try to pull off something like that. So um, it, is, it is one of the benefits of the open channels of communication nowadays um, that um, and people do speak up and, and as you get a greater level of, of movement, um, some research says 3% of our population um, to speak up, then, then you can create a movement that will create change. Uh, yes, it's, it's amazing to hear and it's amazing to see brands, um, you know, be called to, to action yeah. because they are um, not doing what's appropriate. Now, that doesn't necessarily be, need to be from a sustainability perspective. But yes, for sure, for us, it was about ensuring that what we did um, was um, you know, much better than the status quo. It's, it's a, I think an interesting point I cover regularly is the fact that many people don't innovate or change for fear that they are not going to change or innovate into something perfect. And nothing is perfect. Uh, not even Steve Jobs achieved perfection, and he was a perfectionist. Um, uh, it's 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 important that you create something that is um, marginally or significantly uh, of greater benefit than the state, the dominant status quo. In our case, the dominant status quo, from a primary pack perspective, is a round glass bottle. That's a bottle that is heavy, spatially inefficient, and shatters easily also requires a lot of energy to produce, move, and recycle. So when you're starting with those parameters, you have to say, how do I make a product that's more spatially efficient, doesn't shatter as easily, and is lightweight? And then also, how do I create a product that is lower energy to produce, move, and recycle? And if you can tick those boxes, then you're, you're doing something right across all those parameters. And that is why we create a flat bottle to save space, and I'll describe flat. Please, shortly. yeah. Well, I, I, I think we can get into it. I would love to see the bottle, and you can, if, if you want to start kind yeah, of so getting into what you're doing. So how we've, how we've corrected for the existing product is, as I say, around this space inefficient. If anyone imagines two circles up against each other, they touch at one point, and all the other places lost. So what we've done by creating a flat bottle, and a flat is a cross-section of round, We've taken the round bottle and we've, as though you would run two parallel blades from the neck down. And so you've got in one profile, you've got the shape you know and like, and, and that's a round bottle next to it for those viewing. But if you spin it at 90 degrees, it's flattened. And because it's flat, you get very large surface area. So this, this flat line here and this large flat face on the front of the bottle, uh, creates maximum contact area between two different bottles or the bottle and the box in which is in if it's shipping in its own box as a single product. So the less airspace you have, the, the more spatial efficiency you have. And spatial efficiency is so important. And Adam, you mentioned something really important about population boom. I think most people don't recognize how the population has boomed and so quickly. In 1800, we were a billion people. In 1900, we, 1900, we're 1.6 billion people. In 2000, we're close to 6 billion people. Um, we're more than 6 billion people, sorry, in 2000. And in 2020, just 20 years later, we're knocking on 8 billion people. So we went from 1 to 1.6 to 6. Those are 100-year um, mm -hmm. uh, jumps. And then 20 years, we're another 2 billion more. It's, it's incredible. We are on a finite planet with finite resources, with finite space. We can reclaim some of the sea, as they do, for example, in the United Arab Emirates and other places 
they reclaim land from the sea to create more place to live on. But when you're living in a place which is very spatially confined and being spatially efficient is beneficial. And that's why for us cross-section designs. In addition, I said the glass is heavy um, and it shatters easily. So what do you do as an alternative? You use the best alternative that's available at the moment, and that is PET. But then if you want to be lower energy, you, re you use recycled PET because we make our bottle entirely from recycled PET. So it's 100%. Some people call it RPET. Some people call it PCR PET, different words, but ultimately it means pre-existing material, not single-use plastic. And by doing that, we slash the carbon footprint further. We also ensure that we give a value to material that's in circulation because I don't really have a big problem with single-use plastic, sorry, single-use packaging, but I have a big problem with single-use plastic. And the, the issue being that sometimes you cannot have reusable packaging as packaging goes great distances. If a bottle of wine is packed in Argentina and enjoyed in Shanghai, recovering that bottle to Argentina makes little to no sense. Then you need to just recycle that material within Asia and put it back to another use. So it's the material that's the, the bigger concern, which is why, as I say, for us, by using recycled PET, we can cut the carbon footprint. And we also create the product with the benefits of PET, which is a wonder material. If you look at research, it's, it gives you the benefits, most of the benefits of glass. Oxygen permeation is just the one Achilles heel of PET, and, and we can address that later should you want. But I think certainly for, for those listening here in packaging, um, you know, it's, it's space, it's weight, it's being shatterproof. And the, and the shatter part is important as products that shatter easily require a lot of transit packaging, secondary packaging, protective packaging. Right. And that once again is impactful to the, to the, to the planet Earth. We see it, you know, often on social media where people reach out to big retailers, a, a tweet to Amazon that says, you know, dear Amazon, why did I receive my two wine bottles with all this secondary packaging with it? But you understand that they're trying to get that product to destination safely. They're working with a 19th century vessel in one of the most 21st century businesses possible. And, and so um, ripe for problems. So, yeah, yeah so that's, that's why we do what we do and how we correct those those um, issues, as I said, the, the, the problems with the existing vessel, um, the round glass bottle. Yeah, no, that's, there, there's so much there to unpack. Um, that's pun intended, I guess. Uh, okay. Because, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there, these are, I try to, I try to tell people, um, you know, plastic in and of itself is not an inherently bad, there's nothing morally wrong with plastic. It's, it's a material that can be used for good reasons or for bad reasons, just like any other material can be. You know, glass can obviously be great or it can be super problematic. There are, um, and so I, I think what's cool about what you're doing is you, I'm, I'm assuming sort of started off in a, in a materially agnostic way saying we, we just need to find Glass is heavy. We've understood the problem, but let's identify the right material. It ended up being PET. Okay, well, what can we do with that? Um, I love recycled content for where we're at right now. I've talked about this before because it, it does drive value. We, we have to give uh, these material recovery facilities um, an, a, a good place. They, there has to be something that's causing this. If there's, if there's no reason to recycle the materials, it doesn't get recycled. It just goes to the landfill. Um, so I, I, that is, that's incredible. Um, I, I like the, 
um, is, is the look, again, no, not knowing a lot about wine, is the, the tinting of it, is that more aesthetic for people or is that um, functional? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Um, but I'll first address the material agnostic point because you're right. When we came to this, we um, had, you know, product design perspective. We needed shape innovation and either material innovation or best in class material. Um, but for us, material innovation was too complex. We are not polymer scientists or, you know, material scientists or anything of that nature. So, so we said, um, how can we innovate meaningfully? We can do that through shape innovation, which is why I say that the flat or the smart cross-section design um, is important. And shortly, I'll explain how we can also uniquely, to my best understanding, pack in two directions. I'll show you what that means because that's really important for cutting the space. But it was the same thing from a material perspective recognizing that we will have the greatest impact by addressing the mass market product that 85% of the 30 to 35 billion bottles a year. We said most of that wine is in bottle for a very short time and will be drunk very shortly after purchase. Sometimes, you know, matter of days, sometimes even hours as people buy the wine just before they're going to have their, their evening or dinner, whatever. And so, so we realized for that purpose, that PT was, was ideal. But then when researching the difference between using virgin or recycled, it was very clear to me that if you see that, for example, creating the same container from recycled material requires 75% less energy mm -hmm. and having a bottle from recycled PT versus virgin PT results in CO2 emissions which are lower by 79% according to independent research then you can't possibly be saying I will use virgin content for a product that is wine. I recognize there are some very large businesses that can't switch overnight to recycled content. Sure. There was even the availability. But wine is a relatively niche product. And 35 billion might sound like, like a lot. 27 billion might sound like a lot. We're not going to capture all that space. And so we can use recycled content. So for us, yes, it's was a material agnostic position and then we did the research and we said, okay, this is the right product for now and we will continue to innovate where possible. And, and so, um, yeah, I guess uh, uh, coming, to, um, uh, yeah, coming to the position of choosing the material that was appropriate for, for our application. I should say that it is important to see what is the application. Wine is a truly global business. There are very, very few other products where you can go into your grocery store or your retailer, whatever, and you will have a range of products from right across the world. We don't get it in any other products. You know, you mostly have products that come from specific areas and mostly they come from locally. If you have, for example, very local business like a dairy that supplies the town or the area around, then yes, using glass bottles that can be rewashed and can be delivered to homes in an electric vehicle, of course, that works beautifully. Yeah. But if, you, if you're um, in New York City enjoying a uh, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, if you're in Shanghai enjoying a French Bordeaux wine, th that wine in most cases has moved there in bottle. It needs to have spatial efficiency. It needs to have light weighting. Um, it also benefits the wine business as it puts more money back into the business through logistics. Yeah. Our light weighting and our spatial efficiency means that there are many logistic arrangements across the world of wine where the savings in logistics are greater than the cost of the packaging. And so that's really important for a wine business. Wine is a tough margin business. 
I'm yeah. not sure I answered the question, and I think I digress. Oh no, it's fine. It's 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 such an important point. Um, you know, especially as as you're looking to you know more more broadly commercialize the product. Um, you know, I'm I'm thinking through. Okay, well, what if it's if it's my, my dad told me one time he he had this line. He said, "Well, the th- he sold." semiconductor test equipment. He said he told someone it's it's cheaper than free because of the efficiencies that were gained from his equipment versus the other. I, I know nothing about his industry, but I, that idea of being cheaper than free stuck to me where, you know, you're saying, hey, the, the cost of the wine bottle, you know, if, if you're going to save $2 in transport and the bottle costs you a dollar extra, then the the marginal benefit is here and the marginal cost is here. It's a no, it, it's a no brainer. So what what's the... What are some of the reasons why, um, and it looks like the filling even, it's the same kind of fill width, you know, I'm guessing there's, is there, are there, are there changes somebody has to make to their filling lines? Are there, uh, are, is there concern about oxygen, you know, the, the barrier, like what are the reasons why people go, listen, Santiago, you're awesome. You've got the coolest accent we've ever heard. You clearly are passionate about this. Uh, we, we all want to visit the island of Malta at some point, but uh, we just can't, we can't go with, with this wine bottle. And that is because of, like, what, what are some that of those reasons? Because, because people are reluctant to change, because sure. change carries risk. And unless that risk is properly, um, can be calculated, and then people don't tend to take that risk, is why most people, you know, grow up and live in the same um, town or city or village or, you know, wherever and and don't move elsewhere. They're they're unsure of what that means from a social perspective, what it means from a professional perspective. So I understand that people are concerned around risk. In the world of wine, um, the reason why producers don't change packaging format is that they're concerned that consumers won't engage with the product. And for them... Uh, they everyone waits for the other fortunately now we have many projects ongoing and, and increasingly more and more visibility of what we do and as we see success uh, and significant success i can give on uh, examples in a second in numbers then then uh, yeah then we get more and more inquiries it's it's for us for example 2020 this this year has been a really important one as we launched a collaboration with one of the uh, world's leading wine companies, the UK's number one wine company, an Australian giant called Accolade Wines. And they've seen a phenomenal success in the Nordics. So we're talking about Sweden, Finland, Norway, mm-hmm. and now also Denmark. And so um, in Sweden alone, we see, you know, sales up for a product where, you know, estimations were made at the beginning up. 50 to 70 percent, five zero to seven zero percent on original estimates. Everyone likes that. It's it's numbers that um, you know really are worth writing home about. Uh, well, don't, so uh, on so that, yes, on um, that. Sorry, let me. Let, I just want to dig yeah, in there real sure. quickly. So because on that, I think I think that probably historically that's been correct. But when I think about packaging innovations in the wine industry, I I see there's there's maybe a bit of inertia that you can grab onto, and maybe that's what you're describing is happening where. You know, now you see wine, not just, you know, you obviously had like the, the quote, cheap wine that was in the box, but now you're seeing, you know, premium brands coming out with box wines and wine that's yeah. coming in cans. And, you know, you had like what 19 Crimes did by using augmented reality and their labels and, you know, their sales spiked. And so I, I almost wonder if maybe the fear 
and, and, and maybe this is, again, this is kind of what you're describing is happening in 2020, is that the, the, the benefit of the change is so overwhelmingly positive because, again, younger generations maybe are more, maybe there's not some sort of, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this uh, emotional the connection to the I rhyme. think they have to be less traditional as we are all living in times of exceptional flux that we, yeah. do, not, we do not know for the last century. So yes, and, and COVID will further, you mentioned this earlier and you're totally right. The, uh, the impact of COVID from, from an e-commerce perspective has seen that in some instances, we've had a decade of growth, of, of normal growth in three months. And, um, and so, yeah, the th things are changing, times are changing, um, consumers are changing, uh, brands and, and certainly wine companies are changing. And, and we see, you know, immense, immense positivity um, to what we're doing and, and a growing number of serious projects, which is why, you know, we're busy uh, getting ready to to um, launch in the US. Um, I was actually on a call earlier today with our collaborative production partner, Amcor. Mm -hmm. um, and, small, co uh, small company in the packaging industry. <laughs> very small, yes. <laughs> uh, no, amazing giants and, yeah. and, you know, proud to collaborate with them in the United States, proud to collaborate with Very Global, another giant here in uh, in the uk and also across europe and and same with you know another giant ds smith who people will know for the secondary packaging or, yep. or carton packaging so you know we, we collaborate with giants is the way we can scale quickest and we can create the best positive impact and and for the for those giants it's also i think rewarding to be co collaborating uh, with an innovative startup um who's ready to challenge the status quo and sometimes say it as it is, because I'm not shackled by anybody. Um, I say exactly uh, what is right to say, um, you know, respecting everyone in our ecosystem, respecting all stakeholders, including, you know, collaborative partners. Mm -hmm. But sometimes needing to say, you know, enough is enough of beating around the bush. Our planet is on fire. Right. We need to do something about it. It troubles me immensely when I speak to people in the last few weeks on the West Coast of the United States who are having to harvest in Oregon wearing two, um, you know, protective masks and being harvesting a place where, you know, at that point, Oregon had the worst air quality in the world. Right. This is the West Coast of the United States. We're not talking about, you know, a, a metropolis in, in a developing country. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's bonkers. Same thing, speaking to people in California who are just, you know, miles away from wildfires. The, these are the real impacts um, of a heating planet, and it's massively damaging the world of wine. It's oh yeah, the world of packaging. But but it's wine is more susceptible than most, and it's rewriting the world of wine. A product that for generations allowed families to gain you know a living out of the bounties of the, of the great lands, and and things are changing, and that's a shame. We need to do something about it. And and if you final point on this bit is if you look at studies that look at the carbon footprint of wine from grape to glass, then you see that the largest single contributor to carbon footprint is the glass bottle. Hmm. So California has done a study, the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance, did a study which shows that 29% of the entire carbon footprint is the bottle. And if you add the secondary packaging and the transport, it's 51%. 
So it's what in an LCA term is called a hotspot. You want yeah. to do something about your carbon footprint, do something about the bottle, which is where we come in with our shape, innovation, and best-in-class material, cutting the carbon footprint and allowing wineries to activate our technology in a very simple and easy way. And that's why, once again, we collaborate with the likes of Very Global or Amcor, and because they allow us to scale so that we can address anyone of any scale and size. Yeah, that's, and, you know, I, I actually had down here, uh, you know, what's, what's kind of a life cycle analysis. So I'm, I'm glad that you, you covered that. I, I mean, I am, I, I think, I think that I'm probably, I'm, I'm definitely preaching to the choir here. Uh, although I don't know if you can sing, uh, is that this is the, the timeliness of this, like you mentioned with, um, you know, so many harvests right now in question and, and, you know, dealing with economic uh, impact issues that have been happening, um, you know, with, with regard to the, the impact of COVID and things like that. And what's that going to have on, on the wine industry in terms of, uh, you know, buyers. And I mean, there, there's all sorts of questions out there and for you to be really emerging in this marketplace. Uh, I, I think, I, I think the timing is, is impeccable. Um, even recently, I don't know if you know if you saw Amazon's, um, it's, uh, it's basically, I think it's called their climate pledge, but you can search on Amazon on, uh, to find products that are packaged with minimal packaging. So you can actually buy products now to reduce your carbon impact of your own e-commerce purchasing. Another so, of the great initiatives, another of the great initiatives, Adam, like, like FFP frustration free packaging. Um, so yeah, uh, great initiatives that that take the lead and uh, and encourage others then to um, to be forced to innovate to to stay in business, which is great. Uh, the same will apply for legislation mm -hmm. and countries that are subscribing to be net zero by a certain date in the next twenty thirty years will force legislation so that where there is an alternative that is lower carbon, people are forced to use that. In the instance where there is an alternative, you have no excuse. Other right. than the fact that you are reluctant to change as you are scared, you fear change, you fear the unknown. Um, but what we should be fearing is, um, you know, climate change, a warming planet, um, you know, six mass extinction. There's, there's enough, um, you know, well-known um, faces out there. So David Attenborough, Greta Thunberg and others who make the message, who deliver the message very clearly. I just want to address something quite quickly because you mentioned sure. before, you asked me if I can sing. If you want people to switch off right away, then I'll do that. But if not, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, then we, we won't have you sing. Um, well, I, I, typically, uh, I typically ask a question, but I think we've definitively answered it. And you've answered the question in your actions. You know, if you could change anything about the packaging industry, what would it be? Um, and, and I love talking to people who have answered that question already. You saw a problem and you are answering it and you're answering it in such a, in such a way that's not, um, it, it's, it's so impactful, like you said, kind of across the board and it's looking at sustainability in a very holistic way in an industry that, as you said, is, is needing to ramp up uh, how it, you know, how it, how it's packaging is functioning for a, an environment that is largely growing towards e-commerce, but is also useful in, in, a, in a retail space. It's not as though your bottles can only be used for e-commerce, though it certainly solves that when you talk about 
you know, truckloads, you know, pallet shipping and things like that of mass market wines, it seems as though, and I'm guessing that you probably have studies on this, that that shipping is going to be a lot less impactful, a lot less waste, yeah, a lot totally, more models. Totally. We are packing, we are packing close to two, two times the amount of product at scale on pallet. So, yeah. so you know, um, massive difference. I guess, thank you, Adam. I'll summarize in one word, inefficiency. That's the what and why, because of sustainability. Reality mm -hmm. is if we can be space, weight and energy efficient or remove the inefficiencies, the flip side, then we will be more sustainable. It's yep. really simple. And that's so what gets me out of bed is sorting out those inefficiencies. That's where the opportunity is. That's where the problem is. Problem at the moment, as I say, that we are space, weight and energy inefficient, most, most often in, in the wine industry's packaging space. And we bring in the efficiency. We do that for triple bottom line sustainability. Uh, I'll, I'll you know, repeat, it's, it's planet, it's people's profit. I'll add product onto yours, as you said before, Adam, because you're right. But the, that's a base assumption. If I'm producing you, you know, you'd think, you would think, but it's funny when I talk to people and I bring that up, especially people who not not in the, the packaging manufacturing space, because we think it's assumed, but people who are in, um, you know, uh, not even engineers, maybe product development and things like that. It's like they'll, they'll develop and they'll start with the wrong end in mind. The start is how do we use, you know, quote, sustainable materials. And I'm like, first, you know, there's uh, there, there's. A generic study is that the amount of energy used to produce whatever the product is, whether it's food or CPG or beverage, is going to be about 10 times the cost, uh, the, the carbon impact of the packaging. And so lost product in transit, uh, or, or especially like food waste, food waste is the third largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions if it was a right. country. So we, we have to protect these products better. There's any, any products... Oh, I mean, almost, almost any material that can in, increase the value or the lifeline or the, the life of the product is going to be useful and helpful because of that, when you, when you kind of follow the energy and the carbon. And so um, I, I have always yes, assumed correct, which is why It's also important to be clear what the packaging you're producing is for. I'm very clear to people, Lucantos, I was speaking to a producer in Portugal this morning that had a range of wine from mass market to premium. And they would start to talk about the premium. And I said, no, those should stay in glass for now because glass is a much better, doesn't, uh, oxygen doesn't permeate. We use a barrier in our PET to give us longer shelf life. Yeah. But we are fit for mass market wine. And that is, you know, that's more than enough space for us to have an attractive business and to create an impact and to do what's right for, for the industry and the planet. Right. Um, but but we're not we're not fit for everything, and that's why we look at you know futuristic polymers like PEF over PET, um, just to see that you know the opportunity there at ten times the oxygen barrier. Or so it said. So yes, we will continue to innovate. Um, but you know the message I said before is important that anyone listening to this and considering innovation or improvement in their business should not fear innovating for uh, concern that they, where they are planning to go is not perfect. We are not perfect at all as a business, but we're a hell of a lot better than the status quo. And that's yeah. what's important. We, uh, the, the space between where we are now and perfection is what drives my team and I to do, you know, to, to, to do better, to do greater, to improve, to work hard, to work smart. Yeah. Um, but you don't need to be perfect to be better than the status quo. You know, set your benchmark and then do better. Obviously set a benchmark that's achievable. If I'm going to start doing 100 meter sprints, I'm not going to put my benchmark to be the same bolt. I'd be silly. 
Um, but you know, we, we um, you know, for us, our benchmark is the round glass bottle, and that's from a space, weight, and energy perspective. We just need to be better. And yes, in the in the instance of the retail scenario, many much wine is still sold in store in a physical environment, bricks and mortar. But even there, the the shelves need stocking. We have more product on on shelf. You know, probably about two times the amount of product. More product availability. Because the product is flat, it has a much clearer face on which to put a label. You mentioned that you pick, a, a, you know, a, a wine eventually by its label. Well, on a flat-faced product, you have a billboard effect. So, some you know, multiple areas that that benefit. So, once again, sure. shape innovation uh, and you know, using design to your best capability is really important. Uh, we should not underestimate the importance right. of the aesthetic and the fact that. Uh, humans are irrational, but they are predictably irrational, and and so we should use that, and and sometimes not be too rational in our um, in our calculations. I love I love that. Uh, predict humans are predictably irrational. That's a that's a whole other conversation. A long um, one, yes. But um, you're probably better to host Dan Ariely for that than me. <laughs> yeah, he's the expert on that. We'll one. do that. We'll do that. Uh, well, Santiago, um, this is, I, I've learned just, I've learned a ton. I'm, I'm excited to know you. I'm, I'm pumped for what you guys are doing in the industry. I'm, I'm excited to see where you, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm excited for that moment where I'm like, I had that guy on my podcast once. Because <laughs> uh, I think you guys are doing, doing something that's, that's it's it's incredibly innovative and it's super important so thank you uh for those people we know it got you out of bed um for those people who got out of bed today they listen to the podcast and they say i gotta talk to that guy i gotta talk to somebody at garcon wines what what's the best way for them to get a hold of you uh first of all i do recommend jumping on our website as we get a very clear um, view of um you know what we do and why we do what we do so you know we keep the website up to date um Ellie uh, running marketing does a phenomenal job and then you can reach out to one of her phone numbers and you'll probably get um, Amelia or one of her team who will take you through any questions you have. Yeah. So yeah, great team, very passionate, uh, very open to, to, to chat, you know, web chat or, or um, you know, multiple different possibilities to contact us. Yeah. Check out our website. Our social media channels are also very active so you can, you can chat chat to us on there, and but you can also see what you do because we've got very visual product. So I think, um, yeah, garsonwines.com, G-A-R-C-O-N wines in the plural dot com, um, at Garson Wines um, for social media handles. Great. Um, yeah, LinkedIn and other places also. Yeah, c- connect in if you've got any questions, and if we can help answer answer any questions, even if they're not in wine. Uh, we're happy to contribute and help where we can. We um, we like to give back. Awesome. Well, I will. The minute I see my first uh, my first bottle, I'm going to go ahead and I'll take a picture and make a little video of it. So uh, we'll we'll go thank we'll you. we'll post that up. So it's it's awesome. Uh, Santiago, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, and uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. See ya. Thanks, Adam. Take yep. care. Bye. Bye.